and I was talking to my therapist and I was just like, thank you so much. Like you, you changed my life. Like you, 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 because she did. But she said to me, she was like, you know what, Rhiannon, ultimately, like, I just gave you a box of tools. That's all that I did. You were the one that chose to, you know, open up the box and use those tools and keep them with you. So that is, it is exactly like you being equipped with a set of tools that you can then use for the rest of your life. Hi there, Veggie Mates. Welcome back or welcome to the show if this is your first time tuning in. It's great to be back for another week. This is the Veg Talk Podcast. You just heard a short clip from this week's incredible guest, Rhiannon Fish, and I'm your host, Matthew Davey. This show is all about bringing you conversations from the leaders in the plant-based and vegan community from around the world. We have the opportunity to take a deep dive into their life, and I hope our chats are able to help you live with more kindness and intention. If you're new to the show, my partner Anna and I host the English and Spanish version of VegTalk. You can find us on Instagram, at VegTalk, that's V-E-D-G-E-T-A-L-K, and also VegTalk Espanol, that's all lowercase one word. We're uploading YouTube clips of the podcast every week, and the audio can be found on your podcast app of choice. It's been an incredible privilege to host this show and bring you conversations from truly amazing people over the past year. Your support has been much appreciated, and if you'd like to help us out, please take a couple of minutes to leave a review and rating for the show in your podcast app. And to the 80-odd people worldwide who have already left a review, I thank you. It means the world to us, and I look forward to bringing you conversations on a weekly basis. Let's now shift the focus to our very special guest, Rhiannon Fish. If you're an Australian, you'll know Rhiannon from the iconic soap operas, Neighbours and Home and Away, If you're from anywhere else in the world, it's likely you'll know Rhiannon from the time she spent on the sci-fi series The 100. Rhiannon was born in Canada and spent most of her life growing up in Australia. This is where her acting career started to take off, super early mind you, with her part-time job on Neighbours coming when she was in primary school. You'll hear all about how her acting career has progressed throughout the years and also what it's been like moving to Los Angeles. We also hear about Rhiannon's love-hate relationship with social media and how it's been an at times difficult road to navigate. This I think is true for all of us. Social media is relatively new. So are we truly aware of how much time we're spending on it? Are we truly aware of how the multiple platforms make us feel? Well, we cover all this and much more. I'll leave the introductions there guys. I hope you find some helpful takeaways from this conversation. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. We're rolling. We're here in Los Angeles nice. today. Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful day, summertime. Welcome and to my home. We're with Rhiannon <laughs> Fish from, I don't know, you might know her from the 100 or Home and Away or even Neighbours, depending on how, I don't know, how keen a Neighbours fan you are. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, it's really good to have you here and I, I thank you for your time. It was cool to have you uh, respond and and be up for a a chat today. You know, I think what you guys are doing is super cool and it's also very important. And I'm a huge podcast fan. I love podcasts. Um, So when you guys asked, I was so happy to be involved. Cool. Have you been on a podcast before? No, never a podcast. I've done radio, but this is my first podcast. I'm very excited. Cool, cool. We can we can claim that then. Yeah, that's, yeah uh, this is a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> that's a nice one. Yeah, well, it's good to have you on the on the show, and yeah, I think we've got a, a cool conversation lined up for everyone today. So, I, I suppose a cool thing to start with is uh, you know where you kind of started, mm-hmm. 
um, you know, being from Canada and then and making the switch. I'd love to Australia. I'd love to hear a, a little bit about your childhood and, you know, what it was like. Uh, so um, my dad's an engineer, so he had to travel a bunch for work and the opportunity came up for him to be transferred to Australia. And I was four and my sister was two at the time. And as a family, they just decided like, let's go to Australia. When do you get this opportunity? So rather than him going on his own, we all went with him and we fell in love with the country. I mean, what's not to love about Australia? And essentially we decided to stay there. My dad continued to work in Russia and Nigeria while we stayed and grew up, went to school, did everything in Australia. And it was truly the best place to grow up. I wouldn't change it for the world. I love Australia. It is a, it's an amazing place. Yeah. And where in Canada were you from? I was born in Calgary. Okay. Um, and then grew up primarily in Melbourne and then the last few years in Sydney. Beautiful. So I suppose Calgary, the, the thing that comes to mind is the Calgary stampede. Oh, the stampede. Yeah. It's <laughs> well, like coming a, from a vegan angle. It's right. Like, it's not a real. It's bad. It's yeah. like really, really bad. It's probably up there with like running of the bulls. Like okay. I don't know. Is that what it's called? Running of the bulls? Running with the bulls? What is I think it might I be know. running of running the bulls. It sounds I don't wrong know. now that I've said it out loud. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's the one um, in Spain. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Um, yeah, it's. I haven't even thought about it from the vegan angle because, of course, when I went, I was so young. I was just a kid. And it is, it's, I mean, sort of similar to the races in Australia, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, and essentially, probably just a lot of animal cruelty involved. Um, I know they do, I can't, yeah, no, truly, I don't even know what's involved in it anymore. Um, but it's a huge phenomenon in Canada. It's massive in Calgary. Yeah, it's huge. I think. A while ago, we had some people from Calgary stay at our house through yeah. like couch sitting. Two really nice girls. Um, but yeah, I think something that came up in the conversation yeah, was, sure. the, was the stampede. And yeah, it's uh, it's basically a festival surrounded a, around like animal exploitation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And but so many of those things are. It was like I was thinking about the races as well, which are obviously so big. It's like the race that stops the nation in Australia. And that too is essentially animal cruelty when it comes down to it. I was talking to some people about how the horses that are horse races, racers, they don't, they don't live anywhere near as long as, you know, a horse that's just living its best life out on the farm. Um, so it's very interesting to me that there's so much animal exploitation that is celebrated within different communities around the world. Um, and it's weird because it is, it, it brings the whole country together. And if you actually were to stop and be like, what is it we're actually doing here or celebrating? I, I don't think it's, it's good stuff at all. No, it's kind of like, it is a bit mindless on our end. For sure. Yeah. I, I, for, I connect with the Melbourne Cup. Yeah, of course. Definitely. Growing up in Melbourne, I mean, we had holidays based around uh, Exactly. It. Yeah, you, yeah. You wouldn't have to go to school when the Melbourne Cup was on. Exactly. Like, yeah. So it's like automatically a positive thing. For sure. Get the day off or yep. a four-day weekend or whatever whatever it was. Yeah. We used to go away with family, friends. Yeah, and we did the same. Yeah. And it was a good time. Yeah. But it's all centered around yeah. a horse race. Yeah. And we, we don't really take the time to look. No, you no. never stop and think. And it's so weird because once you do, and I mean, that was a big part of why I I'm, we're heading into the vegan stuff fast. I apologize. No, it's a good um, way to start. But it's like, that was a big part of the reason why I became vegan is because once you actually stop and look at what the hell is going on, you're like, oh my God, I've been brainwashed my whole freaking life 
to believe that this is acceptable and that it's okay. Um, but the moment that you actually stop and break it down and, and really sit with what's going on and overlook the commercialism and how you're being brainwashed, you really see the reality behind it all. And it's not something that I think the majority of people would be comfortable standing behind. No, totally. I think, yeah, when you, when you really look at people's yeah. uh, kind of values, Mm-hmm. It's usually, you know, kindness, compassion. For sure. Be nice to one another. Yeah. You know, take care of your pets. Exactly. That kind of mentality. Yeah. Uh, but for whatever reason, we draw a line mm-hmm. and, you know, horses for entertainment, tick, that's okay. Cows for entertainment at the, the Calgary Stampede yeah. or the, all the other animals that, that, are, that, that are in that show. And that's that's also above yeah. board in, in society. So. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why we. I, th- I think it's definitely tied in with the food. We, you know, for sure. We draw the line there, and animals, you know, taste good. Yeah. So therefore, you know, it's okay. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's definitely a an interesting conversation. I don't know much about the Calgary Stampede, but I thought I'd just bring it up. No, yeah, I, fair enough. I'll have to look into it more from yeah. this angle, um, because I'm yeah, I'm very interested to know what actually goes on there yeah the only footage i've really seen mm-hmm. i think it's more of like um kind of like lassoing yeah um like calves like baby cows yeah it just looks brutal i mean and yet there's it's surrounded by like an amphitheater of people cheering yeah. and there's like bets put on stuff it's like and again those people then probably go home and like love their their cat or their dog there's just such a disconnect between those things and then if we all took a step a second to just really think about it i think the answer is so obvious that we shouldn't be doing that stuff couldn't agree more now isn't it wild like crazy literally the guy that is got the rope in his hand yeah he's about to throw it around the neck of yeah. this this baby animal he's gonna go home to his you know labrador or golden sure. retriever and exactly like, that's yeah. the point and then if they were to be like okay the cow's not available today we're gonna throw in your puppy like he'd be like no i'm not doing that so where, where do why does it switch in our brains and it's i think it's because we're just conditioned from birth essentially to be like this is how the world works this is how these animals are treated and these are how these ones are treated it's like we're just so conditioned to think in a certain way that it's baffling to me though that it still continues and continues hopefully more and more we're seeing people lean in the right direction i believe yeah the kind of direction the more compassionate direction for sure i mean we can wrap this up this little bit my tangent sorry no (laughs) no just just the you know the melbourne cup versus the, the calgary thing but i was just thinking like try telling people in melbourne that never this has to stop it would never happen i don't think it's ever gonna and that's maybe that's really narrow-minded of me but i can't imagine in australia that ever getting passed all of australia being like nah it's okay sure we'll get rid of the melbourne cup right i, I yeah. don't think they will i think it's certainly at one end of like the spectrum yeah you know when you've got a public holiday surrounded around i know it, but can't we figure out a way to do it and- a different way there has to be an option better things than that but it's just so ingrained in australian culture and society that i can't imagine them ever being like as a whole yeah okay let's get rid of the melbourne cup maybe one day a vote will come in i mean that'd be great 
We'll see if it's in our lifetime or not. Exactly. Who knows? I mean, there's so many other things that I'm sure even like 10 or so years ago, people were like, oh, you know, gay marriage, that'll never happen in Australia. Never. Like, which is obviously insane. But now look, like everything's, things are changing in a positive direction, slowly but surely. I think ultimately being fueled by kindness overall. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I think we will remain positive. We'll, yes, we'll, sorry. We'll, I was no. so negative. No, <laughs> no, but it's <laughs> so sorry. It, like we're both from Melbourne. Yeah. So we, we've lived it. Yeah, we get it. Yeah. And it is hard to believe. Yeah. It's super hard to believe. But when you put it into context like you just have, yeah. it's totally possible. It's, it is possible. It's possible. But I think it takes people yeah. like you and I that... Absolutely. You know, and people are speaking up yeah. all over the country about it. Mm-hmm. And as they grow and grow and grow and their voice is heard exactly. and it becomes stronger. Absolutely. You know, we can hope that someday. For sure. Yeah. There's hope. It definitely. will happen. But anyway, I wanted to get back right. to, um, yeah, moving to Australia yes. and your acting career. Because yeah. it did start at a, a super young age. Yeah. And yeah, I'd love for you to go into a little bit uh, of your experience on, yeah. on Neighbours and whatnot. So... Ever since my, so my sister's two years younger than me. I was obviously an only child before that. And the second she came along, it was like my whole personality just switched. And I was like, I need to be the center of attention at all times, which maybe you get that having a sibling as well. (laughs) Um, And uh, from then it was just like my parents essentially didn't know what to do with me. They will to this day describe me as just like a real handful. I was just a lot. And so they were like, let's funnel some of this energy on stage. So like most kids, you know, I did like, you know, singing, dancing, acting um, on stage and immediately fell in love with it. And Australia is so wonderful where it is like a land of opportunity. And the second that I expressed interest in that, um, my parents put me in acting classes. And from there, again, lots of agencies there. So I signed with someone. And then by the time I was 11, that was when I had my first job working on neighbors and I was just a guest role on that so it was perfect being that age because you just you know still go to school pretty much full time and then once or twice every month you get pulled out to go do something fun on set and then go back to school but being on that set it that's where you learn the most and I learned so much and I'm so grateful for that opportunity um because from there I think it just really propelled me into being like, this is what I ultimately want to do for the rest of my life. That's a pretty bold kind of... At 11? Like, this is my job. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to, you know, think back to when I was 11. I was probably like, I don't know, grade four or five. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. And to... Yeah, to have that feeling that it's something that you're passionate about. It helped that I wasn't good at anything else. Like, I am... I really struggled in school Um, and I was one of those kids that just tried so, so hard with everything I did, but my brain just was not that way inclined. I struggled through every subject Um, and so when I found something that not only I loved, but I was also relatively good at it, um, that it just became a no-brainer for me where it was like, this is is what I want to do. That's cool. What was it like, you know, being pulled out of school yeah and um oh, i felt you know, so cool yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see you guys i'm going to neighbors yeah. today like it's not really cool at all but it felt very very cool um and i mean at that time too i mean obviously neighbors is still running it's like a 
it's a part of Australian culture as much as, you know, the races are. Or, I mean, obviously home and away is the same. It's like anyone that lives in Australia or is Australian or Australian knows neighbors in home and away. You just do. Um, and so I felt, it felt very special to be a part of something that was so very, very Australian. Yeah, I mean, you say it's not cool, but it kind of is. <laughs> like, <laughs> if if I had a kid in my grade that was in like that year four or five, that yeah. was, I think I had a guy in my year that was on like blue healers. Oh, that was massive. And that was yeah. also pretty big. <laughs> so is, like yeah. he, he, same thing, pulled out of school and yeah. I was like, oh, what's he up? You know, yeah. he's off doing his on thing. blue and, healers, mate. Yeah. This is a big deal. <laughs> celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. So like when you get screened, right? Yeah. And it's like airtime air for your episode yeah. or whatever. What was it like coming back to school the next day or whatever? Were, were people all like, oh, Rhiannon, you know, oh, that was really cool? <laughs> well, I went to a very small school. I went to, um, I went to, it, I was in primary school at the time and I went to a school called Carrie Donvale, which was like just like a handful of kids in each class. Um, and so I did feel in that in my tiny, tiny school, I was very supported and there wasn't a person there that didn't go home and watch it or, you know, follow my, what little bit of a career I had at the time. So it was very nice. That's cool. That's yeah. a, it's a really cool so start sweet. to your, yeah. your time on TV. For sure. What happened? And I just want to mm-hmm. give a little bit of a little bit of context here for the American listeners. Oh. So neighbors home and away. Yes. Two biggest soap operas in Australia. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. the, the, if you may recognize names such as uh, Chris Hemsworth or Margot Robbie, <laughs> both got their start. Maybe Chris didn't. I'm not sure. I think Chris was home and away and neighbors, or Margot Robbie was neighbors. So True. it breeds it breeds some super, super big people uh, that ultimately move over to the States. No, definitely has been kind of like the place for Australian actors to, yeah, it's, to start. Yeah, it's where we get our start. Yeah, exactly. for sure. And then to, to move on to like whether it's yeah. uh, local film and TV or exactly. if, if they head over to, to the States and, and, and do it over here. Yeah. But what happened, I suppose, for you in between Neighbours and Home and Away in terms Neighbors, of life and yeah. acting? Between those two, I did a little show for the Disney Channel in between. I did a small Australian film. Um, and then there was a big, big gap where I you know, did VCE, um, finished school, which I'm really glad that I did. And then, and then in 2019, I guess it was, is that wrong? Oh my God. No. It's 2019 no. this year. Am yeah. I okay? <laughs> in 2009, I, um, I booked the job on Home and Away and that was like a three and a half year contract. And that to this day, I don't think I will ever have a job that I love as much as that. It was the best. So this is like the most iconic kind of yeah. TV show in Australia. That would be my... Kind for of sure someone it. told me once it's like if you had what was the show they referenced oh it's like if you put days of our lives on venice beach like that's very much what it, it is like very soap opera kind of drama um and then it's of course set on the beach so it makes for a fun little show no amazing amazing setting oh, um gorgeous yeah, it's... Palmy, mate. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. Palm Beach. <laughs> yeah. I've actually never been to Palm Beach. You've never been? No. Oh, it's gorgeous. We were in Sydney this year. Yeah. And we didn't quite get there. What was your favorite beach in Sydney? We checked out Coogee, like Bondi. Oh, Bondi. Yeah, Coogee's lovely. Um, Did you go to Tama? No. No. Didn't go there. I've been to Manly before. Manly's nice, yeah. Um, but we didn't really... Didn't really... It was like just heading into winter. 
Oh, fair enough. So we yeah. weren't really like scouting out beaches no. per se. But as we were coming down, there were some beautiful beaches as well um, on the on the New South Wales coast. There was one nice. that I really liked called Hat Head. Oh, I've never heard of that. And we hadn't either. We were obviously <laughs> we, 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 we were road tripping with mum and dad, and they kind of they normally kind of plug in everything, and yeah. they know exactly where they're going oh, and where so they're cute. staying. Yeah. That's how they like to travel. But they were like, "Let's wing this one. Let's yeah. just wing it." So we arrived in Brisbane from Asia. We met them there, drove down, and we just they kind of gave me the map and I'm like, where do you want to go? So I zoomed in. I'm like, that's got a national park. That's got a beach. Nice. And we found Hathead. So guys, if you're listening and you go on Australia, (laughs) it's a little town in New South Wales, north of Sydney and it's beautiful. But yeah, that's where... Solid plug for Hathead. They're stoked right now. Yeah. (laughs) I I bet they are. Yeah. (laughs) The people at the local milk bar (laughs) are pretty happy. No, it it is an amazing place. So what is it like being on this set? Mm Mm-hmm on a three and a half year Mm -hmm. contract like this is your life now I remember when I you know one of my first days on set I put on the Summer Bay High School uniform and I was just like this is like what dreams are made of it in my mind it it was it was like the next step for me and it was so important to me to get that contract and to work on that show and it's so wonderful having three and a half years guaranteed on a show because it gives you an opportunity to play and make mistakes and find out what works and what doesn't. It's essentially like going to school, except at the same time, your work is getting broadcast on television. And so you can at the same time learn how to navigate the industry and publicity and all that stuff. It is the perfect place to learn about the industry as a whole. How did you enjoy your character, April? <laughs> or how did everyone you was weird <laughs> like <laughs> everyone else like I feel at the time like everyone had like I don't know she just wasn't she was just a bit of a weirdo and that's why I really liked her um her and Dex um for if there are any home and away listeners I think that they just had the most magical storyline together because they were the oddballs like they weren't the hot ones that were out there like surfing and you know very classic home and away kind of stuff they were the two that were like super nerdy April was an environmentalist. It was like, it felt like a really fun, it was just fun. I enjoyed, I enjoyed playing the character that was a little bit odd. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from afar. Yeah. It it looks like an amazing, an amazing place to be. It looks like quite a tight knit community. Yeah, it absolutely is. As well. The people on set. I mean, you've got your people that have been on the show forever. Um, and then there's kind of like a revolving door of, For sure, um, of all the young ones, of young, younger yeah. people coming through. And we're so lucky because people like Ray Mara, who have obviously been on, I mean, I think since pretty much day one, um, they create such an environment that is so welcoming for everybody else. And they set such a standard for how everyone's supposed to behave. Like I hear, you know, stories of people that are on shows here in the States and it's like, you know, maybe like the cast doesn't get along or there's drama or, you know, whatever. But on Home and Away, there was truly no drama whatsoever. Everybody was friends. It was like going to work with your family every single day out on the beach. It was like magical. That's really cool. Yeah. What's it, do you know how it's perceived in the rest of the Australian film and TV industry? I don't think it's looked at negatively. Um, I think that people understand that it's a huge part of our industry within Australia and it's given people such great starts into the industry. And it 
uh, provides a lot of people with jobs. I mean, you think about all the crew too. It's like those people work every single day year round and there aren't, there isn't enough stuff being filmed in Australia to provide crew members with a job that works all year round. So I think that it's consistent work and it's consistently pretty good work, I think. In saying that, the consistency yeah. of it. So is Home and Away five nights a week? Yeah, five nights, yeah. So five nights a week, there's like a half an hour mm-hmm. show aired. Mm-hmm. What's it like on the other side? Are you guys doing oh. multiple episodes a day or yeah. how does it work? So essentially would we would end up shooting pretty much every week we would end up with five completed episodes. Um, and that's a lot. Like you talk to anybody else that works on other shows, they like, they can't imagine that the turnaround is so freaking fast. Um, which is again, why it's such a good learning experience because it's like, if you don't know what you're doing, you're out. Like it's, this is not going to fly here. You have to show up every day and know exactly what you're doing and then go home and prep for the very next day. It is nonstop. You get a couple weeks off in the middle of the year and then a couple weeks off at the end of the year. But for the most part, you are either consistently working or prepping for what's coming up next. It really is an amazing place to learn. Absolutely. The consistency must just allow you to. For sure gain more and more confidence in your role. Absolutely. And like anything, it's like, it's a muscle. So you, you, whereas I used to, with learning lines, it's now, it's a piece of cake because it's like, I, that exercise that part of my brain so much that it's almost become like second nature. So for things that may be harder for other people, because I had those three and a half years of training, it just makes it so much easier. Sounds like, yeah, sounds like an amazing place uh, for anyone to, to kind of, you know, learn their way through the, the acting uh, industry. So having done three, mm-hmm. three and a bit years with, with Home and Away, mm-hmm. was there a time where, you know, you were, I suppose, able to either extend that or yeah. was there a choice you had to make? Yeah, they offered for us to extend our contract. They offered, because uh, mine was up at the same time and so was Charles. He plays Dex or played Dex. Um, we were up at the same time and they said, you know, you guys can extend if you want to. And he said he was ready to move on, which I totally appreciate. And they had said to me, it only makes sense storyline wise to keep you guys together. We don't want to kill him or, I mean, it just didn't make sense. So when he left, I had to leave too. And in hindsight, I do appreciate that. Like if I find something that's comfortable, I will sit in it forever. Um, so it was nice to get that push out of out of the nest, so to speak. Yeah. It's, it's common that in these types of shows that yep. someone does get you know, killed off. Oh, for sure. How, how did you end up wrapping it all up? Dex and April, they got married and moved to uh, Paris and she became a doctor overnight classic wow that's impressive doesn't make any sense yeah really impressive (laughs) yeah oh it's a kind of cool way to i suppose wrap it all up and and move on and you're right i think it's for anyone we we often really like the comforts of home or the comforts of of you know a secure job whatever it might be and then the moment you're pushed out into something Mm -hmm. that is seriously uncomfortable oh yeah it's when you really start to to learn more about yourself absolutely and and start going for it again so how did that look for you so back then as soon as I finished home and away the industry is actually changing a little bit um or perhaps a lot so then when I as soon as I finished my managers were like okay get on a plane and go to America that's what you have to do because back then 
it was still very much where you needed to be in the room here. You had to meet all the casting directors. You had to be in the room to audition. Whereas now, everything is done with self-tapes. So you can essentially be anywhere in the world, submit your self-tape, and, you know, be considered for the role. Um, but at the time, no, I had to come here and essentially start from scratch because they appreciate that you've had training or worked on a show, but that show doesn't, they don't get it here. So it doesn't mean anything to them. So you're coming from, you know, being fairly successful in Australia to, again, like you're nobody here. Um, And it is that whole like small fish, big pond kind of feeling all over again. How do you navigate that? How, what, what's like the first thing you do when you land? Is there... I didn't do well, um, which may bring us into a interesting kind of segue. But it was like I got crushed by Los Angeles when I first moved here um, because I left everything I knew, like my job, obviously, my family, my boyfriend at the time. It was like my whole life got flipped, turned upside down and... I got here and very, very quickly, like I just immediately really started struggling and was so afraid to ask for help to be like, I'm not doing okay. Can I move home? Because I mean, that's, I mean, a very Australian thing almost. It's like toughen up, like don't ask for help kind of thing. I think we're getting better with that as a whole world. Um, But I was so afraid to admit defeat almost and say, this is too hard. It's too scary. I just want to come home. But in hindsight, I wish that's what I did. I wish I just went home and waited and came when I was ready. Um, but I did. I stuck it out for four years and gradually, it took time, but I think I'm finally finding my footing here. So what were the main challenges apart from like, you know, the, yeah. the main comforts? Um, I'm, I don't really know. Like there were, it was almost everything was challenging. It's like little things like, you know, where do I, I didn't, I didn't have any friends either. I mean, I had a couple that had moved over at the same time from Australia, but really it was like completely starting from scratch. And I have a tendency to isolate, which feels like you're self-soothing, but it's really at the end of the day, it's very bad for me. Um, but I just isolated myself. And with that, of course, whatever, not to put a big label on it but I mean borderlining on depression or whatever I was feeling it only just intensified and got worse and worse and worse yeah I mean when you put it that way yeah moving to a new country yeah new city it's a huge city yeah very I mean I can understand it could be extremely intimidating yeah yeah but to not to have anyone to like lean on Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. where you can kind of bounce ideas off each other or yeah or just hang out. Totally. That's got to be that's got to be a hard place to be. Yeah. And I mean there are people that obviously do it and they make it work and but for me it was just like no, I was really really homesick and um very much alone when I first moved here. Did you have people pointing you in the direction of, you know, you should audition for this. For sure. So I had a manager that I signed with as soon as I moved over and they're fantastic um, and were pushing me for a lot of jobs. But I think that, I think that that really reads when you're in the room. Um, You can see if someone's not ready, that translates on camera. You can see right through people as much as a facade as you try and put on. I think that when I went in the room, I just read as like, I'm not happy and I don't want to be here. And so I struggled to book work. Um, 
obviously I did get the hundred, which I was a wonderful blessing, um, in so many ways. Um, but for the most part, it was just being told no, 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 over and over again. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. I mean like consistent rejection. Oh yeah. Is, um, you know, you're putting yourself out there Mm -hmm. and you just keep getting shot down, shot down, shot down. So yeah, I think for the, I think just the way humans are, it doesn't sit well with us. Mm -mm. Uh, so I can, yeah, I can definitely imagine. I mean, I've done a sales role, so I I understand the knocking on doors or the, you know, ringing, ringing Mm -hmm. the phone and just getting those consistent no's. Oh my God. Yeah. It can play on your, absolutely on your mind. And that's the only thing I can kind of relate to. That's very similar. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, with, with coming to Hollywood, Mm -hmm. And moving away from like the spotlight of, mm-hmm. say, Australia, where, you know, you did have the role for three years mm-hmm. and the growth of social media. How does how does that all play a role in today's society as well? Like social media? Social media. You know, you're growing a, quite a large following. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, you've had shows, you've had the 100 here. Yeah. And then obviously um, being quite big back in Australia as well, you've been able to grow quite a large platform Mm -hmm. um yeah what is it like in today's day and age as a as an actress that is online what are the positives i suppose and what are the what are the negatives of the platform it's such an interesting topic and i'm fascinated by social media and how how much of a factor it is in all of our lives and particularly in the industry as well it's like there are people that will you will possibly lose out on a job if you have less followers than somebody else. There are a lot of jobs that I'm seeing now going to people that are more well-known on social media. Those numbers translate into money, um, which is, which is crazy. But I mean, it, it means like you have to get on board. Like this is how the world works. And so you have to make that work for you. And then I think social media can be a blessing and a curse. I think that you can use it in a really positive way. And I think that I see more often than not people using it to put a voice behind things that are important. Um, But then, of course, there is that whole dark side of social media where there's a lot of negativity, where I am so grateful to be my age and navigating social media. I can't imagine what it's like for kids to be trying to, you know, live through all the stuff that kids have to live through anyway. And then on top of it, have social media as well. I am, it's not, I don't love social media. And I think I'm really trying to navigate how to make it work in my favor or in a way that I feel that I can be proud of and stand behind. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a really interesting topic. I think what you bring up there with, uh, with teenage kids, you know, i personally we're roughly the same age but didn't grow up going through school with you know like a a phone or a device in my in my hand and having access to all uh, the different platforms and seeing kind of like the the ideal life oh portrayed so didn't have to stack up against that Mm -mm. it was just kind of like what you know regular regular life not not really comparing Um, but I think what we're seeing now is huge amounts of mm-hmm. anxiety oh, depression God. in younger kids absolutely and it really has to boil down to our relationship with these platforms it absolutely does and i've actually even seen there was a specific moment that i really clocked it in myself 
um, where I was having a wonderful day. Everything was great in my life. And I came home and I was like mindlessly scrolling through social media. And post after post, I saw people, you know, booking jobs or on vacation or so happy in a relationship. And I literally felt inside my body me go, oh, wow, like I'm failing. And it's, that's before social media, you didn't have that thrown in your face all the time. You would have to actually meet up with a friend or, you know, call them on the phone and hear about what they're going through, what's happening in their life or whatever. But now we are shown a snippet of every single person's life, whether they're your friend or just someone that you follow. And it instantly makes you feel worse about yourself. And it's awful that we hold something around in our hand every day that has the ability to make you feel so awful so fast. I mean, it is it is crazy. Like when you really check in like you did oh. and understand yeah, how that how the relationship with you and your phone yeah. makes you actually feel, you soon start finding out that it's mostly like this kind of empty negative Absolutely. feeling. And it's so dumb because like in theory, we know this is a snippet. This is, this is not real life. So how are we comparing ourselves to this snippet that we're seeing of somebody else's vacation? Like, but I don't know. It's very hard because some part of your brain takes over where you're like, no, I'm not doing enough. I'm not enough. I'm not this, 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 and this. And it sucks. I hate doing that to myself. So I'm trying to be more mindful. I think that that's important. I think it's important to put things in your feed that fuel you in a positive way. Um, That's why I think it's so great what you guys do because that's all just positivity and it's real life and it feels very honest and you're talking about things that make people feel good. Um, And the stuff that doesn't, like maybe this makes me a bad person, (laughs) but there are some of my friends who I am so happy for, don't get me wrong, so happy for their success but when I'm having an off day like I've just gotten out of therapy and I don't want to get out of therapy and look at my phone and be like oh I just booked the next huge film so I'm like okay I still want to follow you I support you but I have to mute you because I just can't have this thrown in my face because I'm not yet I guess strong enough to not have that break me or make me feel worse about myself and where I'm at no I think it's a huge that's a huge step in the right direction it's probably things that we need to be talking about at a younger level yes because you know if they are your friend or if they are someone you previously loved following but then you realize that you're just getting this anxiety and depression around looking at you know again we know it's a snippet somewhere in the back of our mind yeah but for whatever reason, it's making that snippet is making you feel yeah, like you're missing out, absolutely. Or you're not doing enough, or yeah. you're not getting enough work, or whatever it might be. Yeah, um, it's important to be able to say, okay, for yeah. a moment, I'm going to just switch that off, mm-hmm. unfollow whatever it might yeah. be. I don't think that person needs to take any offense. No, again, we're just on. It's an online platform. Yeah, there's time to actually hang out in real life. Absolutely, if need be, and get back to basics. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's an important message being able to curate your own feed in a way that, you know, it's going to make you, make Absolutely. you feel good. But then it's hard because I look at it from the other angle too. And I'm like, what if I'm doing that to other people where again, I'm only showing snippets. Like it's again, I'm bringing up therapy where it's like, I didn't f- take a picture of me with my therapist today. Like when <laughs> we talked about some really dark shit today, it's like, no, I'm going to show you like me having a great time with my boyfriend on vacation in Monte Carlo. Like that's just a snippet. So what if there are kids 
out there looking at my profile going, oh, like I'm not enough or I wish I had this, this and this. So it is so hard to navigate because I would never want other people to feel in any way negative looking at what it is that I'm putting out there. That's hard. Yeah, there's definitely no perfect way. No, like, cause no. Because you can go in that loop yeah. of like, oh, this is how I feel looking at someone else's mm-hmm. feed, but how am I making someone else feel exactly. by you know, portraying my life the I guess way you I... just be as truthful as you possibly can. Yeah. That's the only way to do it. And to talk about things that I think have a bigger global impact like veganism or like the LGBTQ plus community. As long as I continue to speak about stuff like that, it makes me feel better about existing on those platforms. Yeah, I don't think there's any harm in posting a holiday picture. I no, mean, we all, you. you know, if we <laughs> if, if we're on holiday, it's a yeah. perfect time to yeah. you know to show someone the happy side of your life. Totally. I think, yeah. You know, it it is a moment that yeah. you you want to share at the end yeah, of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Going into that's a good segue into you know some of the the meaningful stuff in in your yeah. life that is outside of acting. Uh-huh. So the first one I want to get into, I think an interesting one is Mm -hmm. your holiday in Monte Carlo, right? Sure. So as you do, as a good podcaster does, they want to get a little bit of background information on the person they're going to be interviewing. And I thought, all right, Google. Let's let's start with Google. Rhiannon Fish. Yeah. Rhiannon Fish in Monte Carlo in a skimpy bikini. Mm, I'm so glad you bring this up. Rhiannon Fish uh, in a in a barely there bikini in Monte Carlo. And I was like, why are these the first two things popping up? Like surely Rhiannon has done, you know, many more positive, you know, amazing things for the world than being put on the Daily Telegraph for, you know, being in a bikini on a holiday. So how does, not just social media, but, Mm -hmm. you know, certain types of other media... Mm -hmm written media online how are they portraying women that decide to post a picture of themselves on holiday and yeah why why is this happening why do they feel that it's okay to to cast people in in that light for sure it's so interesting you bring that up um so that was like the first article that came out about me dating my boyfriend in the australian media and my boyfriend said, he's so sweet. He sent it to me and he was like, oh, look, it's good. Like, I'm finally in the Australian media that I'm dating you. It's so exciting. Because Australia does put a lot of focus on who people date. It's a little, or maybe it's like that globally. I don't know. But as soon as I clicked the link, I was like, why is the first reference about my body? It didn't, I couldn't even make sense of it. I'm so fine. Yeah, talk about us in Monte Carlo, my new relationship, whatever. But the very first, you're right, it's in the title, a comment on being scantily clad or barely there. It was a regular bikini. It was like, is that like almost clickbait, which in itself is gross? Um, I don't, I could not. And I brought it up with him. I was like, I hate that that's the first reference. And he was like, oh my God, Rihanna, I didn't even think of that. It's like so... So bizarre just how accepted that is. It's like at first we're going to comment on a woman's body. That is the first comment that we're going to make and then we're going to go into the story, which is insane because I don't think had the article been written about Richard, I don't think it would have been like Richard in like a bathing suit bottom is with, no, it just doesn't, it's very female focused. Yeah, I think there's so many different kind of 
topics we could we could go with go with this mm-hmm. so like what kind of conversation getting back to the mm-hmm. to the written media mm-hmm. what kind of conversation do you think this fuels within you know normal circles of people mm-hmm. so like they see the they see the headline yeah they might read a, the, the first paragraph yeah. or two is is this manipulating their mind into thinking you know something untoward about the the subject of the article or it must be and it must then I think maybe it's even subconscious that people see that and then it's it maybe it is slipping into their subconscious where it's like okay the first like are we even aware that the first comment is about my body are we even aware of that or is it just we're so we're seeing so much of it that it's just second nature and therefore does that then spill into everything else where it's like yeah the first comment you make on meeting a woman or dating a woman or whatever on women in general is the first comment you're going to make about her body simply because that's what we're so used to reading and seeing all the time yeah it's this it's a clickbait yeah. society now i mean oh for sure you know the I don't personally know how the people behind these papers can be proud of the content they yeah. put out. That would be number one. Uh, number two, the person writing the article mm-hmm. might not have much say about the title yeah. or you know what actually goes uh, out to the public as Absolutely. a title. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a, a sad state of affairs when, yeah. when that is capturing people's attention. Absolutely. I suppose. The second thing for me is your own, your own media. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is out of your hands. This mm-hmm. is someone else um, putting it in, in their mm-hmm. paper. But your own media, mm-hmm. you're on Instagram, you go on holiday, you post a picture. Mm-hmm. What kind of dialogue yeah. do you interact in yes. on your own page? Well, you've actually, this isn't quite answering your question, but you've raised a valid point as to how I navigate that with my own media because then it's also a confusing line because it's like, should I not show my body because I know that that's going to be your angle and your focus now? When shouldn't I also be trying to find power in myself as a woman and being like, no, this is my body. Yes, I have boobs. Like, this is what my body looks like. I'm not going to cover it up just so you don't make it your first topic of conversation. But I also know that when I post certain things, it feels like it opens a door for people to comment on my body. Like, I'm obviously, I'm doing, I know what I'm doing. It is going to create those kind of conversations or direct messages or whatever. Um, and it's tough because it's like, am I inviting that in? I don't think that I... Because, oh, sorry I'm getting no I mean like I heated with it because yeah. it annoys me though because it's like because then I don't want to go around wearing like a wetsuit all the freaking time or like a turtleneck just so people don't send me a video of them and with doing inappropriate things to themselves <laughs> like it's like where do we draw the line and where the line should be drawn or started in the first place whatever is with the how we're raising people and I don't mean to generalize but from what I've seen on my end it's mostly come from men inappropriate comments I think it goes back to no it's not what the girl was wearing it's what you said to her so as long as we're raising men or all people to be respectful then a woman should be able to post whatever do whatever wear whatever and not feel like she's inviting you in to make inappropriate comments yeah, it's it's certainly. I can understand like 
you know, why you're getting so heated because it doesn't make... <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's it's frustrating because yeah. it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Yeah. Like going to the beach is real life. Yeah, it's hot. You know, it, right. <laughs> going going to the beach is, yeah. is completely normal. Yeah. And if I was at the beach and I saw you at the beach... You would assume. I'm not going to, <laughs> no. you know do the things that you're receiving in exactly. your in no. your inbox, in, inbox so there's some kind of like yeah weird invisible but it's that they are invisible yeah it's it's this wall where mm-hmm. people just go oh well you know she's not gonna she doesn't know who i am she's not exactly she's not gonna see me and no. i'm probably not gonna get called out for it or whatever yeah. there's no consequences no. to my actions None. here so but still even in saying that mm-hmm what makes what makes that okay in any world to it doesn't no See, it's not okay and that's the thing is that i mean i suppose the only consequences that exist are getting your profile blocked or you know deleted or whatever but for the most part you are invisible behind a computer screen and or you know on your phone it's like nobody actually knows who you are and what are the chances that you know anyone that said anything inappropriate to me in my direct messages would say that to my face zero they would never ever do that and I think that that's why I mean there's also bullying that exists like I've seen I've had at different conventions I've done I've had young women tell me you know I was told to kill myself on social media today like look at look at this look what someone tweeted to me and it's like that person would never say that to your face it is you are a warrior behind your keyboard and I think that people are using that in a really some people are using that in a really really awful way yeah I mean what's what's ultimately what's ultimately going to fix this because it's a very mm-hmm. hard thing to to police mm-hmm. uh, it's you know we see in today's world that if a woman wants to post mm-hmm. say a topless picture on her own mm-hmm. as an example mm-hmm. it gets taken down immediately yeah oh, yeah okay then on the other side of the fence you've got a man in new zealand mm-hmm. that decides to no where i'm the guy in new zealand that live feed does the live feed of the the christchurch killing in the mosque oh my god i didn't know that yeah he posted it all live on facebook is it still up? I highly doubt it. But when he did it at that time, it was it was a live feed and it yeah. didn't get taken down. But yeah, a woman with her nipples out right. gets taken down. It, That's absurd. So do you think it just gets back to education at the end of the day? Is that the best we can do? Or should there be an age limit? Or should there be times that, you know, we're just not on our phone? Or I know. I don't know how to, how to go about the... I mean, fix. the reality is, is that there's not going to be a time without our phones anymore. Like, that's just the way it's like our world is in our phone now. Um, it's a part of life. It's a massive part of life and it's a massive part of the industry as well. And I think it does have to come down to education and just teaching people that, I mean, it's ultimately comes down to respect and again we all we're all just kind of navigating it and figuring it out so it's really important that you ask questions like that because this is all still relatively new and we're trying to figure out how to make this work in the long run and make it work for even say when we have kids like we need to set this up so it's functioning and it's working and people are safe and it should be a safe place and I hope that ultimately there is a way for it to become safe I mean, you can do things like, you know, disable comments, et cetera, et cetera. 
So there are options out there, but for the most part, it's tough. It's really hard. Yeah, I suppose that is something I didn't think of is more the, the platform itself. Yeah. So like what options do you have now mm-hmm. um, at your disposal mm-hmm. and are they strict enough? Yeah. And I maybe they're not strict enough. Um, I've, I've been very lucky where whenever I've reported something, I've seen it get, oh, just like accounts that have sent me wildly inappropriate things I do always report them and I do always see that they get taken down but I don't know if I'm at an advantage because I have a verified tick does that mean that it's more likely to get noticed and then taken down like I mean sure there are probably millions of people all over the world that are receiving horrible things in their inbox that they are then reporting but as a platform they can't take it down they they just don't get around to it I don't know maybe the answers like you said are maybe easier to find within the platforms themselves yeah it's it's yeah. a super hard thing hard. To, to navigate but at the end of the day i don't think uh someone should you know not post what they want to post exactly so i think we should have the freedom to post do you think you we're know, ever going to be able to be able to show our nipples like is that ever going to happen as women sorry no you're fine yeah i'm good to go <laughs> yeah but no i think I will th- that ever I think change it, it's it's again, it's this society, yeah. societal, cultural thing that we've grown up with. Yeah, exactly. Right? We're like, yeah. For whatever reason. But who knows? Again, like maybe 10 years from now, people will be sitting here having this conversation going, remember when we couldn't take our tops off at the beach? Like, do you remember? I can't believe that that's the case, that the way it used to be. It seems like a pretty natural progression. Like, yeah, I think so too. You know, the bikini. Yeah was a big thing massive i'm pretty sure that caused some serious uproar <laughs> and then <laughs> you know and then yeah. as the as as we keep moving on and the conversation continues yeah. to evolve the question has to be like yeah what what's wrong with it absolutely like, you know and i think maybe that's why women are more sexualized is because it's all hidden all it has to be hidden all the time it's so um like forbidden and maybe naughty that um that when you get to see a glimpse of it it's a much bigger deal if our boobs were just out all the time people would be like i don't care anymore it's just it's really it's no different than a man really at the end of the day i think you've hit it on the head there so so. no i think so like it makes a it's just logical yeah from yeah from what you've said yeah they're always hidden away and exactly it's um it becomes this taboo topic yeah exactly that's what it is yeah so when mm-hmm. i don't know it's still it i know i think I we know. still just have to act in a really kind compassionate way right and if everybody regardless. did that if everyone just thought with kindness first and compassion obviously everything would be better yeah well it's a it's a crazy world but it's there's some serious consequences behind it For sure uh in terms of in terms of mental health yeah so have you Oh, how do you go personally? I've struggled immensely yeah. in the mental health department, but I'm getting better at talking about it um, because I think that's important. And a quick throwback to social media. I think social media is allowing it, it's talked about a lot more. It's far, tab. It used to be so taboo mental health. No one was discussing it. But now with platforms like YouTube, it's discussed a lot, which I think is great. Yeah, I like I said, when I first moved here, I was a mess. My life fell apart. I was in a very, very bad place. Eventually got to the point where I was like, and this wasn't even that long ago. It was probably like two years ago. I was like, I can't do this on my own anymore. Like I need to find a therapist. 
And I found this wonderful woman that completely changed my life. I am such an advocate for therapy. It's so important. Um, and so I was seeing her every week. I went to group therapy as well, which was like a bunch of like-minded women all going through the same struggles, helping each other, making you ultimately feel less alone. Um, and within, yeah, I guess I've been seeing her for about two years now. It's like my whole life completely turned in for the better. And I cannot stress how important I think it is to not only talk about mental health, but to seek help if necessary. Yeah, I think the talking about mm -hmm. mental health uh, is a huge motivator for people to go out and get help. Yeah. If you're, if you're able to talk with someone about it, um, and see that they're not going to judge you or yeah. they're not going to ridicule you for going to seek help, then that's huge because yeah. it's a, yeah, again, it's something with serious consequences. Mm -hmm. And if we don't uh, work on it or deal with it in a way Absolutely. that uh, is going to allow us to move forward, then yeah, the, it's, it can really, it can really be, you know, a horrible thing to, yeah. to go through. Mm -hmm. So for you, mm -hmm going to get help what does it look like you know it's you scary um if anyone listening has ever had the daunting task or if you guys have of trying to find a therapist it is completely overwhelming and it's hard too because at the point when you're looking for a therapist is probably when you're feeling at your worst and then you're just like in the sea of therapists like who do I pick um, but they have a website here. I don't know. They have something very similar in Australia. Um, here it's called, I think it's called psychology now where you just go in and it's like a filter where you just type in like, I'd like a man or a woman or whatever. This is the age range I'd like. And then these are the topics that I'm struggling with. And then it filters through them and then gives them to you. And I was just very lucky because of course they're not all incredible. Um, they're all going to be different and some work for some people and some don't work, whatever. Um, but I just saw my therapist's picture and I was like, had this gut feeling, um, and found her, but by all means, I'd seen other therapists before that who just were not it for me personally. So it's a matter of, and that's what's so daunting, is that not necessarily the first person you find is going to work for you, but you have to keep at it. Um, it's no different than physical exercise. It's like not everything is right for you, but you just keep going and keep trying. Um, and ultimately, you will find something that's going to work for you. What does it allow you to do? You know, going in and having a session. What? Oh. It's like, it, and again, I do relate it very much to working out where it's like, you know, I went to boxing this morning and I was like, oh, I don't want to go. I really don't want to go. It's going to be so hard in there and I'm going to have to do, you know, tough stuff. But then ultimately you leave and you're like, oh my God, like I feel amazing. The same as therapy. Like before I walk in there, sometimes I'm like, oh, I have nothing to discuss. Life is great. And she will find something that pushes me to explore some part of me that's dark and scary. Um, but in exploring those dark and scary places, it makes my everyday life just so much lighter because I do think that it frees up that space for positive, good things. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we can continue to talk about it for sure in this, you know, positive way, oh. it's going to encourage a lot more people to go yeah. out and, um, and seek help. And I think sometimes too, with mental health, this is something that frustrates me. And I had felt this way for a long time. It's like, if you have a mental illness, 
you have that for life. Like this wasn't me personally, but I will use like alcoholism as an example. I've heard time and time again where it's like, oh, you're an alcoholic. You will be an alcoholic till the day you die. You can stop drinking. You can enter into recovery, but you will always be an alcoholic. And I think that that is labeled on so many different mental health conditions where it's like, oh, well, if I've got this and I'm stuck with this for the rest of my life, why am I going to work at fixing it? But I do really believe that you can, you can absolutely overcome and change everything about yourself and leave it so that you're no longer forced to sit with a label or a diagnosis. You can enter into a full state of recovery, I believe. Yeah. I mean, I personally don't have an experience with something like alcoholism. Love, oh yeah, no, no, no. So I, yeah, I don't, yeah. I, I, I have seen like with someone like Rich Roll, yeah. um, he's got an amazing podcast. He's based just outside of Los Angeles. He's an alcoholic yeah. and very much, you know, talks about the ongoing yeah. um, work that he has to put in. Yeah. So that's from an outsider looking in. Yeah. That, that's about all I understand of for it. For sure. Is that it, for a lot of people, it is this continuous but work. But that's what's so daunting. And that was one of the reasons why I didn't want to seek help is because I'm like, if I'm going to be working on this every day, like I'd, I what people don't tell you is that yes, you do have to put in work. It continues, but the work gets easier and easier and easier where for me now it's like a simple state of being like, just check in with myself, be like, am I doing okay? Do I need a session this week? If the answer is no, then I'm okay. It does. It definitely gets easier as time progresses. Yeah. Is it more like you know, in the beginning, mm-hmm. you're kind of getting the tools. Yeah, it's exactly what it's like. Yeah. yeah equipping you with something that you yeah. can actually go away with. Yeah. And then use it on your own. Yeah. To check in. Yeah. That's, to understand where you're at. Yeah, you've hit it on the head. And I remember talking to my therapist, like end of last year was when I really entered into like a new state of just like being and being healthy. Um, and I was talking to my therapist and I was just like, thank you so much. Like you, you changed my life. Like you, 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 because she did. But she said to me, she was like, you know what, Rhiannon, ultimately, like I just gave you a box of tools. That's all that I did. You were the one that chose to, you know, open up the box and use those tools and keep them with you. So that is, it is exactly like you being equipped with a set of tools that you can then use for the rest of your life. Super important. Should be done. Mm -hmm earlier oh god yeah. yeah that's what i think about i feel like i'm talking a lot about having kids in this podcast <laughs> i don't know why um but that's what when i have children um i want my kids to be in therapy early like even if they're going like once a month to just talk to a qualified professional about maybe stuff that they don't want to talk to me about or their dad about and it's just because i do again just like working out we put so much focus on our bodies and what our bodies look like. I think we need to be doing the same with our brain and every so often it needs to be, you know, it needs a checkup. And I think that the earlier you can have that discussion, the better it is going to be for the long run. I think the focus should be shifting more towards feeling. So like working out, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. The, the consequences of working out are often physical. uh, Yeah. Physical. You get a better looking body. Yeah. But that's very extrinsic. Mm -hmm. How about walking out of the gym? Like you said, you drag yourself to boxing in the morning, but you leave the boxing gym feeling euphoria. Yeah. Way better. Yeah. And when we can teach ourselves to do that 
I still, I really struggle with the consistency of working oh, out. Oh, I get it, yeah. So I have to give myself something like a marathon. So nice. me and a mate in New York decided mm-hmm. to tackle a marathon. Mm-hmm. And once I've bought that ticket, oh, yeah. I know that I need to be doing it. But I, for me, I need to work on it outside of that. Yeah. I need to work on the consistency of wanting to feel good from, from working out. Mm-hmm. Much the same as mental health. Yeah. If we're able to equip ourselves early yeah. with the tools, we should be able to check in with ourselves more Absolutely. regularly to make sure we're feeling good. Yeah. It makes a whole lot of sense. It shouldn't be taboo. No. And I think with the wave of anxiety and depression in teenagers mm-hmm. uh, and younger people right now, it's, mm-hmm. it's really quite important. Absolutely. So let's move into veganism. Yay! Let's, my favorite topic. <laughs> I never get to talk about this. <laughs> let's move into it. So, I mean... You'd like to drop a nugget here and there. Of course, it's a, a vegan <laughs> nugget. Yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah. a, a vegan chicken nugget on, yeah. on Instagram, yeah. whether it's a t-shirt yeah, or it's a... Yeah, little bits and pieces. I a, know. A sly caption. Yeah. You know, of yeah. like, I think there was a recent one saying like a couple of vegan sailors or something oh, yeah, like that. yeah. That's me and my one vegan friend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's cool to, to see that, you know, you're able to voice it in your um, own way yeah. on Instagram. I'd like to hear a little bit about, you know, what made you make that switch? Was there something... To becoming vegan? Exactly. Oh, I don't know if my story is interesting at all, but I, so I, as so many of us, loved meat. My favorite food, if you ever asked me, my whole life was ribs. And I was like a steak, a girl kind of day. Um, loved, loved, loved me. And then one day I was sitting at home and I was like, oh, Cowspiracy, this is a recommended documentary. And for no other reason than watching an interesting documentary, I clicked it. And I mean, of course, like within moments, I was like bawling my eyes out. And I had to keep pausing it and like to check in with myself and be like, oh my God, what am I doing? It was like my head had been ripped out of the sand. And there was this one specific moment in the film where you guys have, of course, seen it, right? Where he goes to like the humane place where they kill the chickens. And I did that in big, big quotes because it's whatever. There's no humane way to kill any animal. Um, So they it was his turn to kill the chicken. And um, in the very next shot, (laughs) it makes me so emotional. (laughs) You see the chicken next to him in the car seat of the or then the passenger seat. And there's like a voiceover where he says, if it wasn't, if I couldn't kill the chicken, why is it okay for someone else to kill the chicken for me? And I'm definitely paraphrasing that. But that was the moment where I was like, oh my God, could I, I could never put my hands on a living, breathing creature and kill it. And therefore it's not okay for anybody else to do it for me. Um, And from that moment, I instantly became vegetarian. And then with pulling my head out of the sand or my own ass it was like <laughs> right away I saw this like snowball effect of all the cruelty that was going on in all the other industries and I was like as a animal lover there is absolutely no way I can stand behind any of this because then it simply means that I love pets or whatever it's stupid um so yeah very quickly I became vegan and then never looked back for a second it is the to this day the best choice I ever made I forgot about that scene. It's a good. So so that's like the director Kip um, Anderson. Yeah. And he's at that like little. Yeah. You know, I suppose it's like family chicken farm. Yeah, that's right. Or something like that. Yeah. No, it's powerful. The the film's 
him and um, I think it's Keegan. Yeah. Two guys have made uh, Cowspiracy, What the Health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two really important films of our time. Mm-hmm. Uh, change a lot of lives. So oh my God. definitely, you know, you, you're not the only one in, oh, for sure. in that boat. They've done amazing work. Uh, but it is, yeah, it's cool to see yeah. that you made the switch and... I like the the T-shirt, Eat Pussy, Not Animals. <laughs> we love the Eat Pussy, yeah. Not Animals. The lesbians all like it too. <laughs> it like goes off in both communities, yeah. <laughs> That's definitely a winner. Yeah. Um, but yeah, how do you, you know, having a large platform, yeah. how do you go about it in terms of, you know, making those posts? It's, it's, it's so tricky as like all this social media stuff is. So... I was, my sister's vegan as well, and she is often on my case um, because I was talking to her about doing this podcast, and she was like, you know, Rhiannon, you don't do enough, and she's right. I, you're, it's only little nuggets that I spread of this veganism, and it is the most important thing or one of the most important things in my life, but I'm like that with my boyfriend too. Like He's always like, oh, it's so great. She's not a preachy vegan. Like She'll never rub it in your face. But inside, I'm like, yeah, I want to. I want to tell you how important this is because it is. And I know in my heart that it's right. But I'm so afraid of um, coming across. Like We get this bad, bad rap sometimes where it's like people think we're assholes because we believe in being kind to animals. Um, and there's my sister made such a valid point because I was like, you know, I don't I don't want to look like an asshole. And she was like, but I mean, what about the animals? And ultimately, that's the question that it all comes down to is that be the voice for the voiceless kind of thing. And I need to make a conscious effort to be, have a bigger voice behind this and be less afraid of people judging me for what I know to be right. Yeah, I definitely didn't mean to be like condescending on oh, the no, on the on the little nuggets. Oh no, but they no. were spot on. It's um, I think it's something we've all got to kind of come to terms with because yeah. you often get confronted with this, you know, new information. Yeah. It's it's life changing. It's mm-hmm. you you don't know how everyone doesn't know this. Yeah. You want to share it. You don't know how. You worry about what other people might think, and ultimately, it stops a lot of us. Yeah. From from sharing any content. Um, but often, you know, those little pieces can be really important because when you wear a t-shirt or when you write a caption that, you know, doesn't get in a lot of people's face, well, I'm sure you've got a bunch of followers that read it and then go away and think about it and it plants that seed. Yeah. So yeah, whatever work you are Mm -hmm. doing. Well, it's surely more important than, than absolutely no work at all. Thank you. Yeah, so whatever. I'll, I'll you know. get better. I yeah. want to get better though. I really do. Like I look at people like Miley Cyrus and I'm like, yes, she gets it. Like she just gives, she doesn't care what people think. And I think ultimately we should all be, be living that way. And the voice that she puts behind veganism, I think is so incredible because she just doesn't care about what anybody thinks. And I would love to ultimately be as brave as she is yeah i'd love to get her on the podcast she's Wouldn't like that be great she's, uh, <laughs> but you never yeah. know liam's aussie they yeah. might go for it yeah, yeah. no she's um she, you're right like she's got this amazing no filter kind yes. of attitude uh and yeah uses her platform for yeah. for really good things but like much like yourself you've also done a lot of work in the lgbtq yeah. communities yeah 
Um, yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about love how you got into it, what you've done? So The 100 has a huge um, following from the LGBTQ community. And with that, I my eyes were open to like a world that I didn't even know really existed in terms of like lack of representation. I am a cisgender white woman. Um, and I'm also... I primarily, I've always said, like, if I were to fall in love with a woman, I would never lean away from that. But I've only ever dated men. And so I see myself represented. It's impossible for me to turn on the TV and not see a representation of myself. It's always there. It's usually always accurate. But there is this community of um, a whole different community that is not represented on television. And I never knew about that until I started listening to these people's stories where it's even like as simple as like lesbians, they, there's just not enough representation. And when there is representation, it's often sexualized and it's purely used to gain viewership rather than tell an authentic story about a real person. And they would tell me stories about, you know, when they were growing up, there was no no one for them to watch on television to explain to them what they were feeling was okay. Of course, we are making steps like everything in the right direction um, towards being more accurate or accurately representing people. Um, but even then still, it's like I can probably count on one hand the number of shows I've seen that have a trans character in it that just don't exist. And so I hope that by the community educating me and then me using whatever knowledge I've gained and spreading it as much as possible. It's just getting the conversation out there more and more um, and hopefully improving their representation. Yeah, definitely, definitely an important message. I think Mm -hmm. we kind of undervalue uh, the role of TV and film. That's massive. So being able to see that representation, Mm -hmm. you know, as you said, like white guy from Australia. Yeah. Like, we're everywhere. Yeah. You you always have that kind of like mm-hmm. positive reaffirmation that Absolutely. you're a part of the community, you're accepted. Mm-hmm. We've spoken about it quite a lot mm-hmm. as well with, um, you know, women of color. Yeah. So uh, we've had uh, a girl on the podcast who is half, half Indian, half Canadian, brought up in Texas. Oh, wow. So we went through that. Yeah. Anna is... A Mexican citizen, an American citizen. Yeah. Um, so, you know, having that that dual citizenship is quite interesting because when you're living in America, you're not American enough. Mm-hmm. But when you go back to Mexico, you're uh, there's a word for it. Is there a word? Pocho. Mm-hmm. Pocho, which is like you're a, an Americanized Mexican, basically. Oh God. So you don't quite get that, but a lot of people do. Yeah. So they don't really feel like they fit in. Yeah. Uh, and the same for the LGBTQ community, yeah. not getting that rep- representation on Absolutely. Uh, film and TV. I can understand that yeah. 100%. The TV show that comes to mind that we recently watched oh, which one? is called Sex Education. I watched a bit of that. Yeah. yeah. It's on a... Oh, and that's such a great way to bring this up because I was watching it with <clears throat> like a guy I was like seeing, not Richard. I don't know why I referenced that. <laughs> um, he came over for like a, he just a hangout and it was like, we were watching Netflix and he was like, Oh, you got to watch this show. And I, um, 
turned to him and I was like, oh my God, isn't it fantastic? I don't know if this was the direction you guys were going, but I was like, the lead is a person of color. The guy, I can't remember his character name. He's a person of color and he's gay. I was like, and he's the lead. He's not some like side character. He is like running almost. He was one of the main characters, the show. And this is so important because people are going to be turning this on that are of his age going, oh, this is normal. Like that's me up there. So I think... I think that that was really cool. Is that what you were going to say? Exactly where I was going with it. Yeah. 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 Because, um, yeah, I don't know. Because of those reasons I I mentioned before, we often kind of critique TV just at home and go, you know, bit of a lack of representation here, Mm -hmm. there, whatever Mm -hmm. it might be. It's more just, you know, you want it to be more inclusive. For sure. It's particularly bad in Australia. And off the bat, when we started watching this TV show, we were like, holy shit, like... This is a really inclusive TV show yeah, and they've totally. done it really well. And it's actually quite funny. It's a good so show. It's really funny. <laughs> if, if, if you are looking for... I, I'd highly recommend it. If you're looking for a show, yeah. uh, go and have a look. Do you want to talk a little bit about what it's like in Australia? Um, oh, God, yeah. I'll sum that up real fast. It's awful. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah? it's really bad. Um, look at our... You know look at our biggest shows that are or our longest running shows they will n- they've never had a gay character on there i don't think i mean on home and away love that show but they how many people of color have they had on that show virtually none um and any of the gay representation they've had it's always just been really brief like two girls in a school uniform hooking up like audiences are gonna love that that's not gonna stir up any you know drama at home they're afraid but I do think like this is if we're moving in the direction the rest of the world is, it's time they had like a series regular that is gay on that show and also a person of color. Like let's make it inclusive because Australia is inclusive, I believe, um, for the most part. So our television should reflect that as well. Yeah, I think the people at large are inclusive mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason. Over time, I think our government mm-hmm. has just completely shied away from yeah from any real uh, topic that I feel the people of Australia are, are mostly positive about, whether uh, it be, absolutely. Uh, you know, Aboriginal rights yeah. or gay rights, you know, whatever it is, for some reason, yeah, the government always wants to shy away from, from those topics, uh, despite the voice that the Australian people oh, often, you know, we're speaking up about. yeah. So... So who knows? Yeah. Maybe if the media started reflecting that better, maybe the government would have no other option than to be like, okay, I guess we're all going to have to move with this together. Yeah. No, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, it's going that way. It, it is. It just depends how it happens, I yeah. suppose. I, there's no stopping it. The movement's strong. Oh, it's so strong. And yeah, they're going to have to catch up yeah. in, in my view. I agree. You know, they're going to have to catch up. Anyway, I think it'd be cool to just hear about you mentioned, you alluded to it before. You're going back to Australia. You've got Australia. a couple of, going back yeah. to Australia. Do you want to give us your best Australian accent? I can uh, switch to an Australian accent if you'd like. We can finish <laughs> the interview with my Australian accent. <laughs> Let's do it. So, Rhiannon, you're going back to Australia and yes. you've got a couple of films got a couple lined of films. up. Yes. How did they come about? And are you able to give us any little bits and pieces? What a you know, what I'll give you entails. another another nugget over <laughs> here. I think I have to stop because it's actually it's really hard now. I've gotten I've spent too much time in America that put it, doing the Australian accent before I do these films. Like I'm gonna have to practice because it's hard. <laughs> um, so it's two films, both 
I'm afraid. Both of them are in the horror genre. Um, and both of the scripts are fantastic. Um, it's the lead female in both of them. And I just, I cannot wait to go home um, and make two projects that I really, really believe in. I think audiences are really going to like them. Awesome. That's really cool. What is your favorite kind of genre to acting? Because like you've gone from, you know, the, the soapy Soap opera, kind of yeah. stuff and then it's like, what is it? Sci-fi. sci-fi. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, horror is my dream genre. Like it's some of my favorite films to watch um, because I think, I, I think it's fun. It's like, a, it's like a fantasy world um, make-believe stuff that I, it's one of my favorite places to act in. It's like there are no limits. And that's why sci-fi is so good too because there's no right or wrong. Um, you're just creating this fantasy world that I think is it's really fun. And to round it out, what would be your kind of like ideal female character? Oh, like a bad bitch. Like I, I like to play, I got to play the villain on the hundred. Um, I would also, I would like to play someone that on a show that really resonates with people. Like I think about shows that were really influential to me. I would like to be a part of a show where people are just like, this had an impact on me and this character in particular means a lot to me in whatever way that that means. Um, that's what I would I would really like to do next. Well, I hope that character comes knocking on the door and you're able to able to take it. Um, but it's been a really cool chat with you today. And um, yeah, it's I suppose not often you get to go on a deep dive with someone and, and learn more about their life and, and what they stand for because we often get very small clips, um, you know, of, of what people really do represent outside of their main mm-hmm. jobs. So... Rhiannon, it's been awesome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you uh, both. Yeah, keep keep crushing it. Thank you. Veggie mates, thanks so much for taking the time to tune in today. In this day and age, for me to ask for 60 to 90 minutes of your time is a big request and I'm grateful for your ongoing support. This was an important episode for me and I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. The topics of sexualizing women in the media and also the role that TV and film play in including minorities are ones that I do not have a huge amount of experience covering. However, I see them as greatly important to society now and in the future. I hope I didn't butcher it and you were happy with the level of discussion. I know sometimes Anna is sitting next to me absolutely itching to grab the microphone and ask a question that's on the tip of her tongue. So if you do have any questions yourself that you wish I had have asked, or you have ones from other episodes that you've listened to please reach out to me on instagram at veg talk i really love hearing your feedback and continuing the discussion outside of the podcast next week we'll be chatting with a couple of high energy humans from the vegan view nikki varangikan and hannah hagler really looking forward to talking to you all again next week but until then keep it plant-based